Hello and welcome into the Feels Like 45 podcast. I'm Cade Webb, and as always, I am joined by Dustin Ragusa. Dustin, we've kind of made it. I mean, it's our superlatives episode, and we've been looking forward to this for quite some time. How are you doing? I'm doing well. Thank you for asking. And you're right. We we are so close, Cade. How are you? I'm I'm doing good. Thanks. It's uh been a crazy week, but uh I'm I'm looking forward to maybe the worst week zero slate of all time. Uh, but it'll it'll still be college football and we'll we'll get through it, uh, you and me together. But it's not just us this week. We are joined by award-winning guest. I mean, Adam Lunt. Did you bring your punch card with you? Because you're pretty close to a free sandwich uh, on this podcast, I think. <laughs> award-winning. Well, what kind of award? Uh, T- TBD. Uh, monotone award? Or uh, I-, I got a lot of awards. I don't know if any of them are worth bragging about. But yes. The most frequent guest. I think yeah. you'd obviously win that award. Another trophy. I'm not sure <laughs> if it's making the case. Sorry. Uh, not sure if that's saying much. Understand. But Adam... We, we really appreciate you coming on. Obviously, if you've been a listener of this podcast, you know Adam Lunt from his uh, prolific Twitter profile. He just changed his profile picture back to, I think, the original one, which I like. It honestly brought a tear to my eye seeing that little nostalgia there. But Adam comes on, talks recruiting, talks X's and O's, talks Oklahoma State football with us. He said the only way he'd come back on is if we didn't talk anything else besides his thoughts on Oklahoma State football. And that's what we're going to do this episode. We can talk about Alvin Mack, though, of the program or, you know, <laughs> Latimer. We can we can do a movie review of the program if you want. That'll be our uh, second episode of the week, the bonus episode. Excellent. Sounds yeah, good. on our on our newly launched Patreon, that's not that's not yet out. We can we can do it there. But no, seriously, Adam, we're we're thankful to have you. And uh, I mean, what a year to to be able to preview with you as you know maybe one of the more unpredictable years that we've had, at least at this point in the preseason. I mean, you're you're seeing ranges anywhere from six wins to you know Dustin's eleven and a half. Uh, so. <laughs> Adam, I mean, just I will get into superlatives. We've got some fall camp notes, but before we even get there, I wanted to ask you your blanket thought on this season. We'll just start there. I, I've I've alluded to some of it on Twitter, but I think it's 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 more of a wide ranging opinion necessarily that that involves OSU. But like the fact that I, I feel like I'm like a real life gif of like someone's like you know like a really slow smirk like a serious face and then a slow smirk like and it's like i know something that you don't know type feeling um because you know it's really hard to cover football now because of the transfer portal there's this just uproot of entire rosters and all that stuff and amongst that osu is probably the worst defender or of the top 10 of that of of transfers in and out um so I, I think it's fun that no one really knows what to expect. Um, but when you find someone that's deeply enrooted in the program, such as you all and some other fans around, like, I think there's just like this casual sense of confidence. Um, 
that it's like you don't want to go out and like make like a bold statement saying you're going to go win a Big 12 title game. But in the back of your mind, it's like this team could be pretty good, you know, so it's kind of fun. It's fun and frustrating at the same time because you read preseason polls and you're just like you want to shake some sense into people. But it's also fun because it's going to be like I told you so, like in October, like I'm really looking forward to that moment. So uh, I don't know if that answers your question, but like that's what's on top of my mind right now of like this, this just like hiding sense of confidence that's going to explode at some point and hopefully it does otherwise i'm going to look like an idiot which isn't the first time so well dustin and well, yeah go ahead dustin what was your what was your take on twitter adam when you were talking about if national media is previewing oklahoma state and they don't mention justin kirkland you kind of have to throw that analysis out the window yeah the, the i call it the litmus test so basically do they know justin kirkland and if they don't, then you know that they don't they don't understand, you know, the 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 deep and, and substantial or significant parts of the roster. They're dumb, so. basically. Yeah. They're dumb. Yeah. 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 Or or just they are what national media does, which is yeah. throw a bunch of crap out that's super generic and lacks substance uh across and you know, to their to their credit, it's hard. You gotta sometimes cover fifty or sixty teams. Uh so that's what you get. Yeah, absolutely skimming the surface. I love that that's the litmus test because I was going to ask you, I mean, Justin Kirkland's obviously a huge part of that, but there's so many other things that are leading into optimism for this season. I mean, probably an improved offensive line. I've said this since the season ended. I think the wide receiver room upgraded now with Arlen Bruce departing. I, I think that you could have a different conversation there, but regardless, and and we don't want to get too ahead of ourselves here. I, I agree with you. I think we're, we're in for an interesting season just to kind of kick off some of the notes that we have before we get into the superlatives though, Dustin, I'll ask you based on Mike Gundy's comments out of fall camp this last week and he was asked about the quarterback situation you still think that there's a uh, a quarterback battle taking place in Stillwater I, I think that there's a battle going on for sure I, I mean I, everything I've heard w- what we saw in the spring Garrett Rangel has definitely improved I still think Alan Bowman's going to be the guy I actually Robert Allen mentioned on his radio show that at the scrimmage they scrimmaged again last Saturday that Rangel was the first quarterback out with the ones in the scrimmage going up against the one defense. So it's been really interesting. I, I I still think Cade, when I talk to you and I know Adam and I have kind of texted about this off pod, but I still think Gundy wants to give everybody reps. You want to kind of keep all this close to the vest in this transfer portal error. I'm not, I'm not saying that I think Rangel would transfer if he was named the two, two months ago, eight weeks ago, but I just, don't think Gundy sees any reason to kind of name a starter at this time. I think that's playing into it, but I also think Rangel is probably performing really well in practice. I still think Bowman's going to be taking the first snap, though. Wow, that's a it's not a departure. It's just definitely confirming this. I mean, this feeling that something's interesting in that quarterback room, whether it's I mean, it's more than likely that Garrett Rangel has progressed further along in a short amount of time, which is not the most surprising thing in the world. But if you didn't see his comments, Mike Gundy said, there's no way we could name a starter right now. You just can't. I'm a little surprised that it's gotten to this point. Whenever we like it's best for the team based on what's happening at practice, we will. I agree with you, Dustin. I think it's going to be Alan Bowman that's QB1 going into the season. I mean, Adam, any thoughts from you on the QB situation? 
I just think it's Mike Gundy being Mike Gundy. I mean, and then, and to his credit, I, I do think it's advantageous to like, he owes it to Garrett Rangel to properly develop him after last year. Like they, they threw him to the wolves in a team that had bad culture that was, you know, riddled with injuries and said, Hey, good luck. Uh, and I think, he, I think Rangel has earned quality reps. Uh, but I've, I know what my eyes have seen and my eyes tell me that there is not an actual QB competition. Now that's no slight to Rangel. I, I'm actually one of his big, biggest advocates, yep. uh, but I think it's, it's in the team's best interest to give him quality reps and keep a authentic, and I'm doing the air quotes, uh, uh, QB competition, but, but Bowman's the guy, you know? So, uh, but Bowman's also got a history of injuries we haven't had a QB play a full season in what, th you know, three or four seasons. Mm -hmm. You have to develop your backups and your quarterback for the future. So I think it's more related to that. Uh, and also, too, I believe in the early camp, he mentioned, Gundy mentioned, just doing a lot of rotating, getting a lot of more reps for other players, you know, post this COVID era. So um, this is another case of that. So that's, that's my take on it. Uh, that's purely subjective and just kind of an opinion. I don't have anything else to indicate that. Sure. Otherwise, well, continuing on, as Dustin said, there was a scrimmage last Saturday inside Boone Pickens Stadium in which Garrett Rangel did open up with the first team at quarterback. But as Dustin said, the quarterbacks rotated, as you just alluded to, Adam. Um, one interesting thing that we wanted to note is that scrimmage was worked by a full Big 12 crew, and the lead referee is Michael Vandeveld, which is the crew that's going to be officiating the opener against central Arkansas, which is a little weird to me. feels like you might not ought to be able to do that, but that's neither here nor there. Right. <laughs> yeah. I, I saw that Robert Allen mentioned, I think it was in a post board article. It might've been on the radio, but that Ollie Gordon was called for a hold, went up to the ref after and was like asking him what he did. And like, just, you know, was like, Oh, I'll remember that for the first game. So I thought that was pretty interesting. It's awesome that they have these, Big 12 referee crews, these crews out there at the scrimmages. I know when when we were at practice, we saw they had the official referee crew out there. We tried to follow and hang out with them after practice, but they didn't really want to talk to us at all. So, But I, I know they're going to have the full walkthrough this Saturday as well, so that'll be really interesting. I, I saw that during that full game walkthrough, I guess this is something that Gundy learned from Pat Jones. They do a simulated weather delay just in case there were to be weather and they kind of simulate that they put their full jerseys on, try everything on. So I, I thought that was good. I think that's pretty interesting that they do that in that kind of last final kind of scrimmage walkthrough before pregame week of game one. I want to know what the conversations are like in that setting with a simulated weather delay. I, it's I, like that a fire drill. Yeah, which do lead to some uh, historically great conversations in, in middle school and high school. So it's very interesting. A couple of other notes, uh, injury related. We've talked about this, but Joe Mahalski uh, was banged up. He's back. Kale Cabanis banged up. He's back. Might be back, I should say. I actually haven't heard anything on Cabanis being back. I know that he was out and I haven't really seen or heard much from him getting reps or any I haven't really seen him much in the highlight videos or anything recently, so I, I can't confirm anything, but I know he was banged up. M Mahalski apparently is back, but it sounds like Austin Kowecki was able to get a lot of reps with the ones at center during his 
ab- during Mahalski's absence. So that's pretty interesting. And obviously a guy, a lot of people are excited about that's a younger guy on the offensive line. So cool to see him get some reps with the ones. And then kid, you know, we mentioned Collins and Nixon, the running backs were both banged up, but they're both back now. And it sounds like they perform pretty well in the scrimmage. Yeah, it's important. I mean, we've talked about that running back room, hopefully being talented. I think we know that, but somewhat inexperienced. I mean, Jaden Nixon has played some college football. Ollie Gordon has played a little bit. Elijah Collins, though, has been injured for you know a full season and then some. So I do think that they're going to have to break that rust off. And, and it was a little bit concerning when that news initially came out that both Elijah Collins and Jaden Nixon were out. So it's good to see them back and hopefully getting a couple full weeks of practice under their belts uh, before they move into the fall. Adam, before we kind of dive into, because I think if you guys want to move on, that was kind of our notes. I know they'll have a media session this Thursday. Gundy will talk again. I think that's like the full, the the thing that he would normally do Mondays during the season. That's going to happen this Thursday is my understanding with the media where he meets and does the full media session. But before we get into depth chart discussion, Adam, I just kind of wanted to get your thoughts just on fall camp. It sounds like they got through pretty healthy. Kind of compare and contrast your feelings from, the end of fall camp this year to how it ended and how kind of they went through everything last year. Well, it does sound like that they're making some changes to how they practice, which is uh, it's, it'll be interesting to see because it's, it's, it's conducive to less injuries, you know, like I think you, you mentioned Mahalski was hurt, but they've also, I know, I think you all may have mentioned it last week about uh, what do they call them? Light days or whatever for offensive line, um, and things such as that. And, you know, I mean, that's really where a lot of the injuries have stemmed from. And a lot of them, I feel like, have been uh, like over indexing on upper body injuries to shoulder injuries and things such as that. So you can tell that they're, you know, maybe it's just a like a random coincidence, but I, it's happened several years in a row. There's something that they had where their lifting schedule didn't mesh well with their practice schedule. It sounds like that they've made some changes and the injury list is considerably smaller than it was in my opinion in in years past, which is, which is going to be, you know, super promising because I feel like every single year it's like the injury report for the first game. I feel like it, it felt like game eight, uh, you know, it's in the middle of the conference season. It's, it's the first game of the year. So that's, that's really exciting. I think another thing that I would say too is, is, I know a lot of people probably want to hear about offensive line. Uh, I find it interesting that Koweki was taking snaps at center. And so they went that route instead of shifting Preston Wilson over. Um, so probably what that means is, and you know, you can read into whatever you want from these, right? There's a million different takeaways, but it probably means that they want more or less a swing tackle and a swing interior lineman. So for example, like Cole, let's say Cole Birmingham or Springfield or whoever is that plus one on the outside. Kowecki's the plus one on the inside. And the fact that they feel good enough to have that, I think is promising. Uh, I don't think that they've had seven guys in the past. I think it's been five, sometimes four uh, and, and a plus one. So uh, I think the lack of injuries and then the willingness to rotate on the offensive line is promising. Um, you know, it's it, it just from a sweeping statement, um, it seems like the defense has won a lot, which is pretty common in fall camp. Um, but 
I know that we've, you know, there's a lot of pressure on the offense this year. So I think you'd like to maybe hear a little bit more about some explosive plays. Uh, but that could just be due to the fact that the, you know, the defense faces the offense every single day. So I think they always have the strategic advantage. That's one thing that I, I think maybe I would like to hear a little bit more of is like, you know, those 60, 70, those explosive plays haven't heard a ton of that. So that's something that may be missing more on the negative side that, that I'd like to hear a little bit more from. Yeah. And I think your points on the offensive line there, Adam, kind of segue us perfectly into the depth chart discussion. I wanted to kind of get you guys take and Kate, I'll throw it to you first. So th this was the depth chart that I created and I kind of wanted to get you guys thoughts on who was listed as a one and who you think could maybe potentially, potentially step up from the twos, from the threes into the one. The way I kind of looked at this is who we think is going to roll out there first, considering there's no major injuries against Central Arkansas. So if we look at offensive line, I had Cole Birmingham left tackle, Jason Brooks left guard, center Joe Maholsky, Preston Wilson at right guard, and Jake Springfield at right tackle. Kate, I think I kind of know where you're going to go with this, but who would – who could you see kind of rotated in or out there yeah, out of those five? I, I almost feel like you can't take the Dalton Cooper free space here, right? Like I, that's the obvious answer to me is that right tackle spot. But I, it's probably not fair that it's obvious, quote unquote, because Jake Spring, Springfield is, has probably outperformed expectations up to this point in his career for what we thought he would be. So it's not necessarily fair to him to say that, but Dalton Cooper comes in, you know, a two-time all Sunbelt player. So I, I do think that he's probably the obvious candidate uh, in that regard. The other one that I would say is just out of sheer experience, Taylor Materko is, is one that I would think could slot into that Man, if you, you know, knock on wood, you don't have any injuries. It's hard to see where he fits in. But if you do, I would think he's one of the first guys off, especially if it's on the interior. So that's kind of the the two guys that jump out at me. Yeah, Adam, any any thoughts there? And and along with that, not just who you think would kind of step up, but what are your feelings on this offensive line? I know we had a question on this, and we can probably just you could probably hit that one now, Adam, if you if you want to. It's from Alex Gilmore at Alex underscore Gilmore three. He's basically saying, do we think this offensive line is good enough, deep enough to hold its own? He says, we've heard that for more than a few seasons now. And you kind of alluded to some of that, Adam, with talking about the injuries in the past. And Alex says, you know, we've heard this and it never pans out. So what's your kind of take there, Adam, as we look at this first group offensive line? Well, I think the first thing is, is that they're going to rotate a lot. So, I mean, I, I do think that it's worth talking about, like, who's your top five. But I really think it's more about, like, who's your top seven. Um, that's actually the more important. Like, the, you know, maybe the fans won't like that because everyone really likes to hear about starting, you know, starters. And offensive line is is certainly one of those groups because historically you don't rotate a lot. You know, it's usually your – but in my mind, I think one thing that gives me comfort is, is I feel comfortable with eight – um, so the six that you mentioned plus Kowecki and actually Jack and Dean is my eighth, um, who's a super impressive tackle and he's a legit tackle and potentially the only legit tackle of the entire bunch basically. Uh, and this is kind of leading into the question is, is if you go back and look at the 2021 offensive line, it was basically five guards playing across the line. 
And, you know, that was a pretty good run game when Danny Godlowski was in and they had their guys in and, um, you know, they, they were, they had a, a effective run game. Uh, and actually I think they were top 10 in sacks allowed then. So like, I think people like to look over that, that year, just because the offense wasn't overly mm. explosive. Uh, really that was a, that was an offense that lacked explosion, but it was a pretty efficient offense. So I would actually think that this offensive line pairs quite well with that group because they're, I think Dalton Cooper is a tackle-ish type person, but certainly could play interior. Otherwise, these are basic, again, like I said, really no one has the true athleticism or foot speed, I think, to play tackle in this entire bunch. Uh, there's a few that are better than others, but the lack of top-end top tackle ability is is negative, but it also gives you a tremendous amount of upside where you more or less have seven or eight guys that could rotate to any position on the whole entire offensive line, which is why it feeds into the the constant rotation of you're just trying to find the best mix of five. And you know what? You may find that Preston Wilson could play tackle, guard, or center to find that, you know? Uh, so I, I think that it's going to be it's going to be weird because we've been clamoring for better health and to find that one unit. And I don't know if we're going to find that here because there's going to be more rotating and maybe the rotating actually, you know, actually feeds into the better health. Um, but I think there's certainly enough ability here to have a, you know, a, 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 a strong offensive line, um, you know, against elite pass rushers. Nah, they're going to struggle. You know, if you get a, a Joseph Asai or something like that, like, you know, we're probably going to give up some sacks, but for the most part, the the type of edge rushers we're going to see in the Big Twelve, like they're going to be fine, uh, as long as the this this unit is as good as as I think they are. Um, so I don't know if that answers this question, but I I think it'd be very reminiscent of the 2021 crew. Is kind of the way I would summarize that. No, I, I think that answered it perfectly. And Kate, I'll ask you yeah. first, and I want to ask Adam the same question. It's probably you both are probably going to get mad at me for asking this, but what would where would you rank this offensive line in terms of offensive line in the Big 12? Like, do you think they're a middle of the pack offensive line? Do you think they're a top tier? Do you think they're bottom, bottom of the 14? Personally, I, I think they're maybe a little a little bit above middle of the pack. So like a little bit above an average offensive line. But I think the thing that pushes them over the edge this year and makes them a solid, a really solid offensive line is what Adam alluded to. The fact that you have seven, eight guys you feel comfortable with. I mean, kid, you mentioned Taylor Matirko. That's a guy we all have slotted in with the twos. Right. And he played the second most snaps of any offensive lineman last year on the yeah, team. Not always a great thing too, in, in some situations like that, but yeah, Dustin, I, I, I mean, I think that's it for me. You, you, you just nailed it. So um, to me, it's a up like slightly above the median or slightly above the mean, I should say, but it's really hard to tell. I mean, there's so much movement going on in the big 12 new offensive lines all over the place. I feel like this is going to be a significantly better offensive line, but I don't know what that means for like how how much better does a significantly better Oklahoma State offensive line put them in the context of the Big 12? It's hard for me to say that they're anywhere above like six, like today. And I would say probably closer to seven or eight, which I guess is not the mean, the mean, I should say. So anyway, somewhere around there. And Adam, like 
do, do you basically what I'm trying to do with this question is just gauge how good of an offensive line you think this is. I, I know it's hard to kind of compare with the transfer portal and everything like that, but do you think this is one of the better offensive lines in the Big 12? Yeah, I mean, I think probably Texas is the best offensive line in the in the league. I don't honestly, I don't know enough about some of the other teams, but I can tell you pretty confidently that the the margin of difference here is I mean, a fraction, you know. So you could literally probably rank, you know, 2 through 11 and and have, you know, a a, a 5% variance or less, you know. Mm-hmm. Um what I will say is that middle of the group, there's probably like Texas and then, you know, eight teams and then like the bottom four or whatever. Of those eight teams, I feel like they're in the top half. Um, you know, so I don't know if that necessarily answers the question, but like I don't necessarily think that I'm I'm being like it's not it's not answering the question properly if if I just say like six in my opinion, because like the the margin between six and ten could be the difference between, you know, <laughs> like six and one, like, you know, it's just a a tiny margin. Uh, I think honestly, if I could, the teams that are able to scheme up these average offensive lines, the best are the ones that are going to look the best. So if you can take, I mean, this is a, I think the one thing that we haven't talked about yet is this is a mega, mega veteran offensive line. I mean, there are some super seniors. There's almost everyone is a red shirt senior. I feel like on the, the whole line. So you got a lot of snaps. I hope Taylor Materico never sees the field, but I mean, my guy has seen a lot of football. Uh, Jake Springfield has been a walk-on for 37 years. I mean, there, there. This is an experienced unit, which actually could take this unit up, up above. Now, in terms of top-end ability, like actual raw talent, you know, it's certainly middle of the pack. There's no question. So, no, that that answer. I was really just trying to bait you guys into a hot take answer, but. You well, in typical Adam fashion, professionally. he said what I was trying to say only like five <laughs> times more clearly and better. And just when I said mi- upper middle of the pack and then I said anywhere from five to nine, he said what I was trying to say. <laughs> no, I-, I loved both of you guys answers equally. But Adam, you brought up a word in there that I kind of wanted to get to as we move on to running backs and some of the skill positions. I want to keep this intertwined with offensive line, though, as we talk about running backs and I'm, I think it's going to be Jaden Nixon or Ollie Gordon when they release that first step chart. But I think Elijah Collins is going to be in the mix as well. All that to say, you mentioned the word scheme. Do you think with this stable of running backs, the offensive linemen we just talked about, do you think this shift to more gap scheme is going to help out the offense overall? Do you like this shift? And also, can you kind of talk about how much gap you think they're going to run? Because I know it's something you and I have talked about in text about not, you can't go from ninety five percent zone to ninety percent gap. So it's going to be it's going to be kind of a, a movement like a balance between the two. Yeah, I, I I don't I don't know if I could throw a number, but I'm sure it'll be. You know, I, I would, I, if I could, maybe like 60% zone and 40% gap or something. I mean, uh, you know, this is probably still a zone-ish uh, team. Uh, but I think, you know, everyone's kind of trending to like that that Sark run game offense where, you know, you're really a core zone team, but you run, you know, different a ton of different variations of these counter plays and power plays to kind of mix it up. Um, the weird thing is, is that, so Dominic Richardson, I think, was an awful fit for his own scheme. 
Um, he's actually a pretty good fit for a gap scheme, I think. Uh, so, and and I think I'm, I was thinking kind of the inverted. Like I I kind of get the feeling that Gordon and Nixon um, would aren't necessarily like scheme specific, maybe as much as Richardson. Um, but I think they could probably do pretty well in both. Um, I think, you know, Gordon definitely has that more physical nature to him that I think you could see do really well, uh, you know, with those, those, those pulling guards and getting in between, um, you know, those blocks and things like that. And then Nixon, I, I kind of think, you know, getting him out in the open in kind of a one cut fashion, um, you could see maybe Nixon running more, zone type stuff and Gordon running more schemes type stuff. Um, but a lot of it really comes down to, to vision and patience, which is not something we talk about a lot with running backs. Like if you could build a perfect running backs, like B. John Robinson is it because he's got all of that, but like he was great at gap scheme because he was so patient and his acceleration was amazing. Like he would sit there and wait for his blocks to set up and then he was off. So that's something we don't really know yet about these guys because we haven't seen enough from them. So I think the person that has the best patience and vision is really going to be the one I think that's going to be the primary running back by the end of the year. Yeah, that makes sense. And to your point, Adam, we also haven't, we haven't seen it from the running backs and we haven't seen it from the pulling linemen either much in this scheme. So really haven't seen it on either side. Right. Kate, do you have much else to add on the running backs? I, I think you and I have talked a lot about them and we think Nixon and Gordon are going to get a bulk of the carries with Collins kind of mixed in there as the third guy. It's just, is there any, do you think there's any chance one of those guys kind of takes away with it uh, halfway through the season and it's just one, one bell cow back? Well, if there's a bell cow, I think it's going to be Ollie Gordon. But if there's a guy, I think Jaden Nixon is going to have the majority of the carries, though. I, I don't think that the running game is going to have improved that much. I should I should not say carries. I think his usage is going to be very high in this offense. Um, we've talked about him running with the ones consistently in camp. And so I, I will say I struggled to see where Elijah Collins, a former 1,000-yard rusher as a grad transfer, comes in not anticipating a, a chunk a sizable chunk of the carries at running back and so that leads me to think it's by committee as we've said for a long time on this show but i do think at at the end of the season the usage both passing and rushing jade nixon's going to be the one who has the bulk of that that's just the way i think it's going to go oh i like that i, I mean i think it's going to be a, a lot of well maybe not a lot of fun but it's going to be interesting to kind of see how this running game takes form because last season it it was bad. It was bad all around. It was bad from the offensive line. It was bad from the running backs. Yep. It was bad from the play calling standpoint. I think it was a collective offensive unit. They were bad at running the football and they've got to be better this year. So it's going to be interesting to kind of see how that plays out. And I know we'll get into it more when we talk about superlatives, but just kind of back to depth chart wide receivers this one feels kind of a little bit like there's going to be some heavy rotation at some spots and maybe not as much at others. I have Jaden Bray at the Z, Blaine Green at the H when they go four wide, Brennan Presley in the slot, Dijon Stribling at the X. Personally, I think Talon Shetron 
and Rashad Owens are going to see the field a lot. I know at times in recent years, the same receiver kind of trots out there play after play, but I, I really think you got to get Owens and Shetron on the field with how much we've heard about them from practice, what we've seen in person. Adam, what are kind of your thoughts on how this receiver core kind of shapes out throughout the season? Well, I think we got to spend the whole time talking about Jalen Pope. No, I'm just kidding. Um, <laughs> You're going to go we there. Should've, we should have uh, known that. Yep. Um, so I, I think it's probably like if you remember going back to like even like the Tylen Wallace, James Washington era, like they just didn't rotate a lot. And I think, you know, you like you mentioned, you've got a really solid top six or seven players that you, you know, have seen a lot of snaps and generally are upper upperclassmen, uh, especially with Bruce's, um, you know, uh, status uncertain and it's very bleak uh, in general. You know, I think Presley probably wasn't going to come off the field much before, but now he's never going to come off the field. Uh, <laughs> and, you know, I, I think one interesting match or, or position to watch is the Blaine Green, Rashad Owens position, whatever that is, like big slot or H or whatever you want to call it. But uh, it's basically the what I call the little Jordan Humphrey position where uh, from, from Texas a few back where they basically take a, you know, a, more or less a tight end and, and put him in slot receiver. Um, I think that position will be probably the one that they rotate the most because, you know, there's not really a clear differentiator between them and, and pretty much everywhere else. I think there, there pretty much is. Um, so, you know, I think you got your six and you rotate uh, here and there hope like hell you don't get a lot of injuries. I think that top six is, is really strong, but there's, I think probably a pretty significant drop off after that so if you start piling up injuries you may see some people rotating around or uh or potentially even going to more three wide receiver sets uh you know more more 11 personnel which is what they're used to anyways um and and utilizing the tight end quite a bit uh more often than maybe they would like um so just something but i agree that i think shetron is is the interesting one because can he if he can push stribbling I think that's generally a good sign for his progression. So that's something that I'm interested in watching for sure. Cade, what are your thoughts there on kind of who who do you see outside of the Bray Presley Stribling kind of being one of those next guys or pushing some of those guys for spots if they're going to go three wide more often than not? I mean, I think it's probably Blaine Green, but Rashad Owens is going to make a run for that that title. Um, just everything we've heard. I went back and watched some Rashad Owens highlights and it's easy to forget. Like when he started playing for Oklahoma state, he was a freshman and he was young and he made some freshman mistakes, but so did his quarterback. And so both looked terrible, but I mean, his, his body, he's, he's just a big guy, a physically imposing target. And when they rotate in, if he's the second guy coming in, he's going to be a red zone target that, you know, my love for a good slot fade. I mean, that's that's a mismatch if if he can be that guy in an offense like this in a red zone situation i could see him becoming kind of an x factor in in this offense where everybody's so focused on the talent that's on the perimeter brennan presley potentially being used as somewhat of a gadget in certain situations he could be the guy kind of like a tracy moore you remember how many long chunk plays he came up with his senior year because of Justin Blackman around him and and so many others. I I could see him being that guy. Yeah, I, 
for me, you guys talked about him. Rashad Owens is kind of like my dark horse, but the problem is it's completely biased from the one practice I saw this <laughs> spring where he was probably the offensive MVP <laughs> of the entire practice. He was so, so much better than everyone else. Like it wasn't even it, close. He had like four insane. touchdowns. He was amazing. And he was in the one-on-one drills with the DBs. He was literally like, I thought people's ankles were broken. Like they were going to be out for the year with some of the moves he was putting on these guys. So there was one route where he generated like 20 yards of separation. (laughs) He was basically on one side of the field all by himself. It was on, it was against, was it, was it Kenneth Harris? I think in that route. I think it was Harris. Um, I mean, my, my guy was lost. He was basically in another field. There's going to be um, so a 30 for 30 on this Rashad Owens practice one day. Yes. Hey, that's how, <laughs> that's how good it was. So we've talked about all these guys. I want to, when we get to superlatives, I have a question for you guys on the tight end fullback position. So we'll get a little bit more in depth right there, but for now, Adam, I'll throw it back to you. They've taken the cowboy back and broken it apart into a tight end and a fullback. What are they going to do with these guys? I think it's it's more of a situation where you get to really f- like they they wanted to do the Swiss Army knife thing, right? And I, I understand why it makes sense. And I think the problem is, is that it's hard to find someone that's a Swiss Army knife to play two positions, and they're not entirely different. Um, but I, I don't think that from a casual fan perspective, my gut tells me that you probably will not notice a difference. Uh, now. The advantage of having someone like a, a Jose, Josiah Johnson, I don't know if I'm pronouncing his name right, but a legit tight end body, like he saw at 230, 235, like not a bigger guy um, in terms of weight, but a receiving tight end, um, I think that will give you a better tight end experience potentially than what we've accustomed to, which is really what they did was they took a fullback and kind of said, hey, can you kind of be a tight end too? And the problem is, is that's not a weapon. Everyone's like, why don't you throw to the tight end? Well, it's like, well, the guy he can barely run routes. He can't catch. He's a fullback that we, we turned run. into. Yeah, exactly. Now, um, you know, Jelani Woods was, was obviously a different case from, from, from that uh, as well. But I, I think, you know, hopefully it'll enable them to actually go and sell some recruits saying, hey, you can be a legit tight end here. And I think that's really the longer, longer term thing. It'll also let them do some inline tight end stuff. Um, where they can do, you know, uh, a little bit more in their stretch, uh, their stretch game and, and things like that. Um, my gut tells me that generally from a casual perspective, though, you're not going to be able to tell much of a difference. It's not like there's going to be drastic changes. You're going to throw to the tight end a bunch. I, I don't see that because there's not someone on the roster that is worth throwing the ball to a lot. Uh, now, hopefully that'll change over the course of a few years, and maybe this change will allow them to do that, but that's not going to happen in 2023. Yeah, I agree. I, I think really the only thing, and Kate, I want to get your thoughts on who you think are the ones at those spots, but on something you said, Adam, just with kind of what the casual fan will be able to see and notice a difference in this spot – I think the one thing that I saw that might stand out to people is how much they seem to be in motion, kind of just shifting these guys back and forth from the H-back spot from one side to the other, having them split wide, moving them to the H-back spot, having them in the backfield with the running back and moving them to like another side of the formation. That was the one, I think, thing that I noticed. But other than that, I agree with you. They're, they're, 
it's going to probably look like the cowboy back a lot well, of times until you see Josiah Johnson split wide. One thing that I do think is worth watching, though, is we've heard, and this is along the same lines, is we've heard obviously some under center, which we saw in person. And I think what what you'll probably like to see is under center, it's more or less going to be kind of what Baylor does. A lot of these long stretch plays where you you look exactly like I think of like Peyton Manning days where, you know, you look exactly the same going back and it's either play action or you're going to run outside zone. Right. And what you find with those is a lot of times those play action plays are those little, you know, those little drag routes from tight ends across coming to the other side, which is a um, so that's something that I think is more conducive towards that under center type style of play where you could see the tight end benefiting. Otherwise, you know, I think what I said earlier still still holds still holds yeah. serve. Agreed. Kate, who do you think who do you think are the main guys that are going to see the snaps here? I mean, I think we know the fullbacks. Yeah. I mean, I th- I think it's Josiah Johnson and Ian Edenfield, right? But to to what Adam said, more like big picture, the exciting thing is that there's zero film on that. And I do trust Mike Gundy's ability to manage that fact and show enough to keep opponents guessing week to week to where, you know, you get to week 12 and there's still stuff that has not been shown out of that formation. So I think it's those two guys personally, but I'm, I'm more intrigued as to how they manage that going forward, because this is going to look totally different. I have likened some of at least what I picture this looking like to Baylor. So to hear Adam say that makes me feel a little bit better. That's a good point though. That was a great call out there. And at the fullback spot, I, I think it's Braden Cassidy. I think you'll see Jake Schultz in the mix. Apparently, Bryce Trumman moved from tight end to fullback. The walk-on transfer from North Texas might see him in the mix there because they like to play the walk-in guy, the walk-on guys at that fullback cowboy back spot. But I, I think the only name we maybe didn't mention is Quentin Stewart, a guy that caught a touchdown pass last year, which is funny because I think he only had that like one catch, maybe one other. But It'll be interesting to kind of see how this position evolves to both of you guys' point in the future. So not this season, but kind of in the years to come. We talked QB already, and we'll get back to it in the superlatives. Anything else on the offense before we switch over to the D? Okay. This is the part that I know both of you guys have been waiting for. We can start with defensive line. I've got Cody Walterscheid at the defensive end, the nose tackle. Justin Kirkland, and then at that defensive end Viper spot, I think that's what Nardo calls it, the kind of more athletic defensive end. I've got Nathan Latou. Adam, what are your thoughts on this defensive line? And I know you're you're thinking it's going to be a rotation, so who are some guys you think will rotate in with those three? Yeah, so same concept. I think it's probably a top. I mean, you, you kind of hope it's top nine, which I know sounds ridiculous. It's probably closer to top six. Um, but I, I do think that there are some interesting players to keep an eye on. Um, like, for example, um, uh, I forget his middle name, Israel uh, Heinemann. Uh, Hundley. Usum, is, yeah, Hundley. There we go. He's someone I think that's worth watching because he's probably not going to end up on a lot of your top two, you know, depth charts, but I think he could see time. Um, so that's, that's one guy that I would keep in like my back pocket. Uh, but, you know, I think your, your starters are um, exactly, you know, along the lines of mine. Um, 
sorry, my three-year-old is, is making an entrance, uh, to the podcast. Um, but, uh, a fourth, uh, a four, four person pod here, special yeah, guest. I like, yeah. yeah starting nose tackle Woody. Yeah. And he, uh, he's a, he's a future starter on the defensive line. There you go. So, um, Something that I find interesting is the size. This is probably one of the biggest defensive lines that OSU's ever had. I mean, think about it. Like Goodlow is like what two eighty five. Uh, Xavier Ross is pushing three hundred. Colin Clay's over three hundred. Uh, Walter Scheid is is two ninety. Kirkland is five thousand, and Latu <laughs> is is you know two sixty two sixty five. So this is a really big defensive line. Um, so, anyways, to answer your original question. I, it'll be interesting to see how much a guy like, let's say, Iman Oates rotates in. Um, if you could see, if you see him in quite a bit, it could you could be approaching a nine eight nine man rotation, which obviously is just amazing for the back half of the conference season. I mean, you you worry about stamina with some of these guys with bigger defensive linemen and injuries, you know, especially lower leg injuries and things of that nature. Whereas if you had eight or nine guys. That are that wasn't a huge drop off. That's talking about the back half of the conference season. That's when you can really start to 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 tee off on defense. So, um, so anyways, my initial thoughts are it's a really deep unit. There's really not a guy that probably is like elite, other than hopefully we think Justin Kirkland will be. Um, but I think it's it's a really 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 it's probably the best unit of the entire team. I would say uh, pretty yeah. safely. So just it's, to kind of it wrap feels that like up. the deepest, which which is crazy because at the end of last season, you're talking about with Tyler Lacey leaving and things of that nature. How deep is this defensive line going to be? And I, I know they're switching to more of an odd three man front. So that plays a part as well. But it's crazy to think that it could be, like you said, possibly a nine man rotation. Kate, I wanted to ask you. We named some guys, and a lot of those guys are more seasoned guys like a Walter Scheid, a Latou. I know Kirkland hasn't been playing for very long, but he's 21, 22 years old. Colin Clay. Who are some younger guys in this defensive line you think may get some action or who you're excited about? I think for me, it's Deshaun Brown. I mean, I think he's the most like a guy that we've seen lighted up in Colin Oliver. It does feel like while he's – on the defensive line and Colin Oliver's moved to linebacker, it did feel like when he was recruited that he was following that same kind of trajectory. And so whether it ends up in, you know, 10 sack seasons, I don't know, but I, I just want to see what his ceiling looks like, because it seems like at least from what we've heard, you guys may have seen yourselves that the light may be turning on. It seems like he's uh, everybody's speaking highly of him. So it's Deshaun Brown for me. Yeah, no, I love that call out. I, some other guys we didn't mention, you know, like a Jaleel, a Jaleel Johnson, Xavier Ross. Ross could be seen more as maybe a situational defensive tackle. And Aiden Kelly, you could maybe see in that role as well when they decide to go four down and have two defensive tackles out there. But it's going to be a lot of fun. I, I think this is going to be one of the strengths of the defense, which if you said that to me at the end of last season, I probably would have looked at you crazy. But I, I truly think it is now. And behind them, I think this unit, the linebacker unit, is one that I'm going to need to kind of see it to believe it. You've got some guys moving positions. You've got Xavier Benson coming back, who was kind of up and down at times last year, even though you know some of that could be attributed to the defensive line. I actually made a change from what I sent you guys, so apologies. And I've changed this position 
maybe 30 times. I have Nick Martin starting at middle linebacker at the mic. I've got Xavier Benson at the weak side, the will, and I've got Colin Oliver at the Sam, the strong side linebacker. The reason why I keep flip-flopping between Justin Wright and Nick Martin is because I know Wright has played in this type of system before when he was at Tulsa. I know he's very experienced. He's kind of the new guy coming in when you lost Mason Cobb. But I think Martin, Benson, and Oliver, the athleticism and just pure strength overall paired with that athleticism of that linebacker core, those three guys, is just too good to pass up. I still think Wright's going to be in the mix. I think Jeff Robertson's going to be in the mix. Adam, what what are your thoughts there? How do you feel about this linebacker core, and who do you think are going to get the most snaps out there at those three spots? I, I I agree with you that I think Martin is the is like the first game starter, um, and I think I, I would think also the other you know the 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 will linebacker spot like I think the difference between a Benson and a Roberson is very small too. Um, and I think it's not necessarily a slight at the, at, for example, the starter or, or the backup, like you really just have a lot of players that have a very similar skill set, and, and the difference is, is, is small. Um, and I think people look at like, oh, you started next year, last year, you're just going to start again, or, you know, uh, two, four, seven, or everyone told us that Justin Wright was this, like our best transfer. Of course he's going to start. Right. Um, but I don't think, I think Nick Martin is really entrenched in this defense. Uh, and he had, he really struggled earlier last year. Um, but you know, that was his first year playing. He's a really talented player. Um, the good news is, is I think some of their strengths kind of complement each other because for example, like Xavier Benson, I think is an average run defender. Jeff Roberson, I think is a plus like really strong run defender. So, you may see like situational type rotations there uh, that go along with uh, those, those players. And also too, I think, I don't think that Colin Oliver is going to play standard linebacker like snaps. I mean, he's a two forty five type guy. He came over, was a situational pass rest of the last two years that came in on a lot of passing downs. I just don't see him going from playing 40 snaps to 80 snaps in one season. So I think, I know it's kind of the theme of the podcast, but I think that you've got – it's this is not as deep of a unit because basically after five or six, it falls off a cliff. So, But, you know, that top four or five is really strong, and you could see a lot of those players rotate pretty frequently. But I, if, if I was a betting man, I would say Nick Martin sees more snaps than Justin Wright. Yeah. No, I, I like that take. And – Kate, I want to get your thoughts on that as well at that middle linebacker position. But also, Adam brought up a good point about Colin Oliver. How often do you think this defense only rushes three? I mean, you would think that they're going to be rushing four a majority of the time, and you would think that fourth guy a lot of the times would be a Colin Oliver. Do you agree? Yeah, I I don't know if I could put a percentage on it, but I think it's all situational. And, you know, on a third and eight. I mean, I'd like to see them rush four, and I'd like to see Colin Oliver getting after the quarterback in a situation like that. I think you would be doing yourself a disservice if, if you were 
leaving him back there. So yeah, I, that that's the way I see that. One of the things I was actually wanted to ask Adam uh, before we even came into this episode was the idea of Xavier Benson having to cover less ground in a three, three, five. And does that set up well for him? Because one of the things that he struggled with, it, there was a litany of things, but one of them was, it seemed like he was constantly literally turned around, like kind of chasing the the route that was behind him. You, do you feel anything, you know, him being on that weak side, um, covering only a third of the field as opposed to a half? Does that change much for you or or are his issues different? I just think that it's just a general feel for the game. I mean, you know, you could make a case maybe. because I mean, I think ultimately the game is probably a little bit more simple for, for all the back eight just because there's, I mean, you know, it's just sheer numbers. Um, and also, too, I thought that they got a little cute with their defensive assignments last year where, you know, they 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 tried probably a little bit too much. And then they had to completely throw that out and, you know, four or five games in and say, hey, we're going to simplify everything. And that's where I think they settled down a little bit. I think that'll probably have a bigger impact in seeing less of those uh, situations for some reason that um, that long touchdown, I think it was a fourth down against Baylor that Benson got burned on like a 70 yard uh, play when you were talking yeah. about that it reminded me of that um it wasn't the play i was talking about unfortunately but that happened then too <laughs> yeah and i think i'm pretty sure i don't necessarily know if he got burned because of exactly the way you were describing but but benson was out of position a lot and i think that had a lot to do with the fact of just you know probably an experience probably them trying to do too much on defense they need to be a little bit more simple i think a lot of that comes with experience um, I do think though that Benson getting out and running is his strength. Like he's he's a long ranger. His he struggles where he's sifting through the trash, like exactly what Har mm -hmm. Devin Harper was really great at is what he struggles at. You know, if he can if you can get him outside of let's say even the tight end box and get him outside in those zone plays and outside of the um of the hash marks, I think that's where he's gonna do really well. So that's kind of what I'm hoping is, is instead of, you know, because really last year is really more of like a, like a a three man a three man front with a stand up rusher, and then kind of three linebackers with a safety down, but more or less two linebackers, where you're covering more in the middle, whereas he could see more on the outside. I think that would be more conducive to his skill set instead of like, you know, in the box fighting off offensive linemen trying to sift through like that's not really his game now that's jeff roberson's kind of game now we could I, I we could do a podcast on jeff roberson i'm really high on him um i, I saw that joe bob clement said in an interview that I, I can't remember the exact wording but it it killed him when jeff roberson had that injury to his foot last year and was going to miss the whole season. Like he was so excited to see what he could do on the field. And then that season in ending injury happened. And when your position coach is singling you out like that, he obviously thinks very highly of you. Yeah. It had a great, it had a great spring fall. And, and that was, that was certainly crushing, but hopefully it gives him another year, you know, um, although it's a new scheme. So maybe he regresses from there. We're not sure yet. Um, but I, I think that this is, this is an interesting unit because there's some good players here, but if I could pick one unit that I think could disappoint us the most, it could be this unit. Like if I'm just playing devil's advocate, that. 
because, and I think, I think the defensive line though could cover it up because if mm. we're circling back to Justin Kirkland, Justin Kirkland can make these guys look awesome. If, <laughs> if Justin goes and kicks some major butt up front, um, cause if you think about it, like I think about it like an Oklahoma drill, right? So like you got a running back and you got a, a blocker and you got a defensive end or defensive lineman. And then you got a linebacker behind him, right? You're in a tunnel. And you know, if, if that lineman comes and gets penetration, your rush angles are off and your linebackers can just run free. And that's so important in this three man front because, and Iowa state's done really, really well at finding these defensive linemen that turned out to be really good players. Um, otherwise I don't think they've ha- would have had the success that they, they, they had. So I, I honestly think that the linebackers are like, eh, like I'm not like super sold on them, but they could be a lot better than, than they really are because of, a Justin Kirkland who just goes wow. and like mauls people up front, you know? So that's something to watch as well. Yeah. I, it's a great call out. And it's something that was kind of lacking last year. You saw some inconsistency from the D line and from the linebackers. So one wasn't able to help the other at a, like a, a, more times than not. So to wrap up the depth chart, I think this defensive back unit, the ones are probably the most, and correct me if I'm wrong, Cade, but probably the most sure ones I am out of any of the position groups with Cam Smith and Corey Black at corner, and then Trey Rucker, Kendall Daniels, and Lyric Rawls at the safety spots. I know there's guys like Kale Smith, Kenneth Harris, Cam Epps, Nick Session, Ty Williams, all these guys pushing them, but I would be shocked if it's not those five guys rolling out there against Central Arkansas. Yeah, I think you said it perfectly. Those are the guys that were out there last year minus Trey Rucker except for the bowl game this feels like your your starting unit and Dustin I'll I'll kind of ask you a question but this is more just for you know anybody I, who's your guy you're most excited to watch and you can't say Kendall Daniels I think for me it's Trey Rucker he he's so physical and he but he kind of is overly aggressive sometimes not only after the play but even in coverage we we saw him make a play in the bowl game and then we saw him got get beat on a long pass but his physicality his you know overall experience getting to play at Wake Forest as well and the fact that he's kind of some people last year didn't even know if he was still on the team and now he's going to be a starter game 1 I think he's just kind of the most intriguing and maybe highest upside just because we're let we're just jumping off the bowl game. I don't know how Adam, who would you pick? Do, do y'all remember Lucian Antoine? Oh yeah. Yeah. Trey Rucker gives me like heavy Lucian Antoine vibes. <laughs> what a pull. I like that. Uh, and I, I was, I was wondering if I was before your time. Uh, I, maybe I'm showing my age. What was he like 2008, 2009? 2009. I met him at the uh, Cotton Bowl bowl yeah. game uh, and told him he was a headhunter when I was like 13. So, yeah. <laughs> well, wasn't that when he basically like ended Jevin Sneed's life? Yeah, it was uh, the next day yeah. he did that. So, <laughs> yeah. Amazing. Uh, so, I'm, I'm sorry. I, I was teeing that up since you guys started talking what was the question again the question was who was most excited to watch and you can't say kendall daniels that's like the that's like the free space Hmm. i'll I'll answer my own question and i'll say cam smith i think he has dustin you just said trey ruckers got upside i feel like cam smith has like best cornerback we've seen in stillwater in a long time upside 
Is it weird that all I want to do is talk about the backups? <laughs> no, because we knew you would. <laughs> like, so I, I feel like I always have an end. Like I, uh, and I don't want to. I don't. I don't know. It's just weird. Like when when I when you ask me that question, one I immediately jump at Cam Apps. Like I'm really excited to see him play. But the young corners too. DJ McKinney and, and Kale Smith, like those are guys I'm really excited about. Kale Smith, I'm I don't think we've seen a guy like him. Kale Smith doesn't look like he should be playing Division I football. He's like 5'9, maybe <laughs> 165. But he reminds me of the kid that just played uh that just went to the draft from TCU, tra- um T uh Travion Hodges, Hodges or Tomlinson. Yeah, Hodges Tomlinson. Tomlinson. Yeah. And you know, so twitchy unbelievably twitchy and uh physical too and, and i just feel like he's a tim duffy like all-star because he plays at the catch point so well so like i'm like not as and i'm not answering the question at all i'm just kind of going on my own thing here uh i don't think i i'm like kind of like lukewarm on the starting cornerbacks um they're a little bigger than i like they they went through this trend where they got big cornerbacks and I don't know. I just I like the the smaller, more aggressive, the quicker ones. That's why maybe I'm I'm biased towards uh, Kale Smith. Which, by the way, for some reason I thought his name was Kale. Um, or did we confirm? Is it Kale? Why did Why do I think that? That's what I've been hearing. I thought it was in Kale. the OSU Max and and Robert Allen and I, you can't trust Robert Allen, but that's what I've heard on the OSU Max. I think he okay. was in one of the interviews. So I I to answer your question. Uh, I would say Cam Epps for sure. Everyone needs to have Cam Epps on their list. He's he might be he might end up his career as a defensive end, like that's how big he is. But he's a really exciting he started player. Started as a cornerback, went to yes. safety, and ended as a defensive end. Yeah, it'd be a great epic story. It should be a <laughs> Netflix movie. Um, but I, I agree that Trey Rucker's really interesting. He he seems almost recklessly aggressive. Like he's he's definitely going to get some 15 yard penalties and blow some assignments, but he's going to force like five fumbles, like that's kind of the what I, the general feeling I get from him. So, anyways, that was a long winded answer, well, and I don't even know if I answered the question, but it leads me to a, a kind of a second question. Then on top of that, how much run do you think these backups are going to get? Because we typically haven't seen the defensive backfield rotate a lot unless there were injuries. I know we saw that strike nickel slot corner kind of bounce around between Harper, Muhammad, uh, Shawn Michael Flanagan, but that was due to injuries. Do you think the twos at defensive back and safety get snaps in meaningful games? I think probably so, but I'm I'm more inclined to think that the other positions rotate more. Um, I feel like maybe my bias is just showing that there's, I mean, you know, these are some entrenched players, right? So like, you know, most of these guys started in the bowl game. Corey Black has a ton of snaps. Cam Smith basically started all last year, played pretty well. Um, A lot of these other guys have almost no snaps, but they're up and comers that's showing a lot of potential. It's more of like me, like willing them into the game versus them actually like potentially deserving it. But I am. I'm really interested to see when they get in the game, but I think that the defensive backfield is going to be the position group, like the defensive backs, that rotate the least amount from the defense. If I could, if I could guess. Yeah. No, I like that take. Okay. I think we pretty much covered every position group, Cade. 
Any other thoughts on the defense? If not, we're going to hear a word from a new sponsor, and then we'll move to superlatives. Sounds good to me. Let's welcome a new sponsor. Yeah, so we are really excited. We've So the past three seasons, we've had a new sponsor for every football season. Got a new one for this season. We're really excited about it. Please welcome our new sponsor to the Feels Like 45 podcast, Classic Overland. Classic Overland specializes in restoring original Land Rover Defenders designed with your unique style and specifications. They go to great lengths to find quality vintage Defenders before they begin the restoration process. Their team of experts will guide you through the various exterior and interior options to create the perfect build. Our friends Luke Reed and Robert Dennis, shout out to those guys of Classic Overland, are both Oklahoma State graduates, and they will work with you through the process to ensure you have an enjoyable experience. In addition, Cade, Adam, if you purchase a Classic Overland Defender and mention the Feels Like 45 podcast, the Classic Overland team will donate a portion of the proceeds to the Pokes with a Purpose NIL Collective. To learn more, you can visit their website, classicoverland.com, and you can contact Luke and Robert at robert at classicoverland.com. From our friends at Classic Overland, thanks and go Pokes. Fantastic. I I want a custom uh, defender. That's Dude, like a lifelong sick. dream. And some of the pictures so, uh, I've seen are amazing. They do amazing work if this is up your alley. Yeah, and Robert and Luke, I know that they're trying to kind of get a little bit more involved with Oklahoma State Athletics. I won't tease too much that hasn't been confirmed, but I think you may see some of these defenders out and about around campus. So, Well, and at that point, you can purchase one and tell them that you got it and you heard about them from the Feels Like 45 podcast. So great job, Dustin. We're thrilled to welcome a new sponsor. We've actually got... A couple of announcements coming up. We're, we're going to welcome back prize picks to the sponsor family. There's there's another coming that I can't yet talk about. So uh, it's great and thrilled to welcome Classic Overland to the fold. So we've probably kept the people waiting long enough. I'm, I'm, I'm ready to make some picks. Yeah. So, Cade, I think, and Adam, what we'll do here, we talked about a little bit before the show. Cade and I can, we'll kind of just fire off some questions. We can all give an answer. Basically, your typical season superlatives. You can give some analysis if you want. You can give a one-word answer. Dealer's choice. Kate, I'll start us off with an easy one. Well, actually, it's not an easy one, but it's a (laughs) short question. Adam, we'll start with you. Who's the leading rusher at this season's end? Leading rusher, Ollie Gordon. Leading total yards from running back. I agree with Kate. I think it's going to be Jaden Nixon. Yeah, I am in the exact same boat. I think it's Ollie Gordon, and I think Jaden Nixon, yeah, gets involved in the pass game as well. With Ollie Gordon, I I just think I I keep coming back to the body type, and I know that Justice Hill was not a very big back, but he was so good at avoiding big hits with his jump cuts and his agility. I just think if Nixon becomes your number one back and you're giving him the ball 90% of the carries, 95% every game, at some point he's going to get dinged up. I think Ollie is probably more built to kind of handle that spot. So I'm going to go Ollie as well. Yeah. When you used the word bell cow earlier, it was like, okay, let me very clearly like segment these two things. Like I do think Ollie Gordon is going to be your one, two, three down back. But I think Jaden Nixon, his slipperiness in a scheme like this, and, and if the offensive line is improved the way we think it will be, 
I think his skill set lines up almost perfectly. And, you know, we, we regretted that Sean Tyler, the Western Michigan transfer didn't make it in. But remember when we were talking about him being a thunder and lightning type approach, I I feel like Jaden Nixon fills that void and then some with some of his abilities out of the backfield. So anyway, I'm excited to see what they do. Yeah, I agree. Kate, you want to take the next one? I can. Uh, you're gonna have to give me a second, Dustin. You no, may no, be I better. Got, I've got it up. It. My bad. You're good. I've got it up. So, kind of going along with the running backs. Hey, you start with this one. Does a single running back go for over 750 rushing yards on the season? To give you some context, last year Dom had was the leading rusher with 543. That was in nine games. Two years ago, Jalen Warren obviously went for the. 1200 yards is there is it gonna be over 750 or do you think it's by committee no i think i think they do have a running back go over 750 i do i think it's ollie gordon um and again i i I feel like the running game is going to be vastly improved and i just think that they're going to try to run it a lot and you you tack on a couple of 60 and 70 yard rushing plays with Ollie Gordon, it's not going to take a whole lot to get there just in the entire context of the season. And if they play 14 games, like we're thinking they're going to, I think they'll get there. <laughs> yeah. Adam. Yeah. That's a, that's a good caveat to the question that saying the wrong backs just, yeah. don't get injured, play the full season. Adam, does one guy go for over 750 rushing yards? I think if you win it all, you play 15 games, right? Oh, is that right? Yeah, well, you, yeah, so that's be. a good point. Yeah, did I think he used to be fourteen? Maybe that's right. Yeah, so fifteen seven fifty makes more sense. You were thinking natty. Yeah. You were you were being more realistic. Yeah, no, I, I I keep it I keep it realistic all the time. Uh, <laughs> yes, I I think that Ollie Gordon will have over seven hundred fifty yards. I think probably eight hundred to nine hundred is. I I think of uh, Desmond Rollinish like twenty thirteen style uh, season where. I have a feeling that his yards per carry isn't going to be quite as good as as Nixon's. Nixon will probably be the more explosive of the two, but I do think he'll get enough volume to get over 750. Dustin, what about no, you? That makes sense. I think he does. I, I had so what I wrote down is I think Gordon will be in the 800, 900 range, and then I think Nixon actually could get up to the 600 ish range as well, 600, 700. So I think I think those two guys combined are going to give you a lot of yards on the ground. Yeah. If you can get so 2000 too. between the 3, I think that is one hell that is a phenomenal combination. Okay, what a turnaround. We yeah. had to do that math, remember Kate yeah. on the last yeah. podcast because we answered the rushing yards per game question before we answered that question so then we were like to make our other answer right, they have to go for two thousand. And I, I was actually thinking about that as I answered. Like, don't go back and listen to what I said because it very well may not check out to what I just said on this episode. So it's don't... like picking it's like picking a whole conference's win loss records and then realizing that it's not possible. <laughs> <laughs> like, literally, it's impossible what you just stated. <laughs> Everyone ties. Yeah. All right, Dustin, I'll take this one. Who is the leading receiver in terms of targets and who is the leader in yards? Adam, I'll throw that one to you first. Uh, I mean, I think it's not even going to be close, especially with targets. Uh, I would I would actually be shocked if, if Presley was not approaching 120 targets or more. Um, I think they are going to absolutely feed him. 
Uh, and it, I think that 85 to 90 catches is especially seeing how fast Bowman gets the ball out. Like, I think that is just going to be like, they're going to go back to that. Well, consistently. Um, so I, I think Presley will definitely get the most targets by far. And I think his yardage will be closer because he's going to, uh, he's going to average less yards per, per catch probably than like a Jaden Bray or a Stribling who potentially is the second receiver. The yardage will be closer, um, but still I think he gets the most yards. Probably 85, 90 catches, 900 yards to 1,000 yards is, is kind of what I was thinking. And my answer is the exact same as Adams, I think Presley for both. The interesting thing to me is I was looking at PFF earlier. I couldn't even find a season where a slot receiver – led Oklahoma State's team in targets two seasons in a row. I think there was, I, I mean, if you count like a Josh Stewart, I think he might've been up there one season, but it's almost like, and I know it's personnel based because Presley's one of your best players. He's your most dynamic player, but it, it's crazy to see so many years of that Z position, that Tylen Wallace, James Washington, Justin Blackman, that guy leading yards and targets. And then kind of this shift now, to Brennan Presley, and, and like as Adam said, and I agree with him, probably overwhelmingly leading in targets. Yeah, I mean, I'm going back to the well, too. Last year, I said he would lead in targets and yards. I felt like last year it might have been a stretch. This year, I, I, I don't think it is. I mean, if you go back and watch Alan Bowman's days at Texas Tech and just how often he was looking there, I, I feel like that's his comfort zone. I mean, half the highlights you see on OSU Max and on Twitter are him go, going right to that slot. So uh, I, I I completely agree with with you guys on that. And I'll just say for the sake of, you know, conversation and maybe a little bit of a different thought here since we all three unanimously agreed. I do wonder if Jaden Bray's like, I mean, we know him. The, the casual fan knows him, but could be a bit of a forgotten man even around the less engaged fan and around the conference. And so I would say if it's not Brennan Presley, it could be him. And if it is him, I think it's going to surprise a lot of folks. Uh, just it, he played three games last year. So I, I I'm, I'm excited to see what happens with him. Cause I do think he's, he's somewhat under discussed even amongst the, the potential fan base. So uh, I'll take this next one, Dustin. And I, Dustin, I'll ask you this. Does a tight end have over 200 receiving yards on the season? And to put it in perspective, not counting Blaine Green, an Oklahoma State Cowboy back and tight end has not gone over 200 yards in a single season since 2016 when Blake Jarwin went for 309. Dustin, your thoughts? I just, I'm going to have to see it to believe it. We talked about it earlier. I don't think so. I just don't think any one tight end on this roster, even a Josiah Johnson is going to get enough targets to go over that. They'd have to all be like really deep catches downfield for this to happen. In my opinion, I just don't think it's going to happen. And, and Adam, before I flip it over to you, I did want to shout out uh, D Kroger at alum underscore AZ. He basically asked a very similar question. So I kind of wanted to, mix that Twitter question in with this. He's basically pretty much asking the exact same thing. He just put it into percentages instead of yards. Adam, what are your thoughts? Does the tight end go over, does a tight end on this team go over 200 yards receiving on the season? No. I, 
I just, it's, it's too hard <laughs> I, to fat. I, I believe that's all I have to say. No. Yeah. I, it's, and, and I know, I know it's probably going to make fans mad, you know, at some point in the season, everybody's going to be like, why don't we ever throw it to the tight end on a game where Oklahoma state struggles on offense. And you see one play on the replay where the tight end was wide open. I get it. I just don't think it's going to happen this season down the road through three, four, when they start recruiting some more guys like a Josiah Johnson, maybe, but I just don't think there's any way. What are your thoughts, Cade? Yeah. I mean, I, I don't think it's going to happen either. And I haven't seen enough. I mean, I've, I've seen the film, but I don't, I have, I don't have any context as to what a tight end looks like in, in this system. And so I don't think it's going to happen. I could see though, Dustin, as you said, some sort of play down the line that nobody sees coming similar to like, remember when nine yard touchdown? Well, (laughs) maybe not that, but some sort of busted coverage where they're, you know, rolling the entire line out and you leak somebody out the weak side and and you go 60 yards because you've got somebody athletic enough to do that. I totally envision though what you said and a clamoring to throw it to the tight end, just like we had when Jelani Woods was running around. Adam, that was back when you were in your podcasting days, but everybody, everybody in my section was screaming to throw it to Jelani. The problem is he couldn't catch. And so I think you've got some guys that can, uh, I just don't think they're going to go over 200 this season. Yeah, I agree. Okay, two quick hitter quarterback questions. Cade, over under 10 interceptions for QB1, over under 3,000 passing yards for QB1. I'm going to go under and under on both of those. I'll go under 10 interceptions and under 3000 passing yards, but I think it's really close on the passing yards. I think Alan Bowman, I just think he's going to be very efficient. I, 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 I remember his arm being enough to, to break the game. I mean, he had 600 passing yards in one game against Houston, but I don't think that's the way that they're going to try to use him, but I, I would love to be wrong. I, he hasn't thrown over seven interceptions in a season in his entire career, granted marred by injuries, but yeah, I think it's under, and I think it's just under on passing yards. Adam, what about you? Yeah, Adam, over under 10 interceptions, over under 3,000 passing yards for QB1. I like over on both. Uh, I think I wanted to go, I had to go back and look, but I think it's 19 career starts and 18 career interceptions. Mm-hmm. So actually if he has more than 10 interceptions, it's probably a good sign because it means he played the whole season, uh, which is, I know super weird to say. Uh, but I, I think at the end of the day, like to be aggressive, it's really hard not to throw 10 interceptions in a 12 or 13 game season, in my opinion. Um, you know, there's tip balls and other stuff like that. Uh, so I think over, and then I really hope it's over 3000 yards, but if you, I mean, what is that? Uh, 250 yards a game. I, I think they've got to, there's just going to be more. I, I think they're going to have more trust with Bowman running the show than Spencer Sanders, who, you know, I think they really had to scheme up a lot of things just because the mental processing just wasn't there. Bowman has that. So they can they can really throw him into the wolves. Um, so I, I'm going to go over in, in both uh, both cases. Yeah, and I'm going to go I'm going to go over over as well. That's what I had written down. I, I think I actually think there's a chance Bowman goes a couple hundred over 3000, like a 3300 ish type season. So 
I, I went over there and I, I was torn on the over under 10 interceptions. I wanted to go right at 10. Then I realized I made the line. So that would be really dumb to go with my <laughs> to push on a line I made. So I'm going to go over. Yeah, I'll, I'll explain my rationale briefly. I felt like there was a really good chance that the line we set for rushing was going to be close to that 2000 mark. And if it is. Like, I just think that they're going to be uber conservative at times. So, um, yeah, that makes sense. Yeah. I, I, but maybe they're not. And if they're not, it's a good thing. So, uh, let's go ahead and skip ahead to our final two offensive questions. Let's do this. Dustin, I'll ask you your offensive MVP this season. I think if it's not Alan Bowman, and, you know, maybe maybe you could say somebody on the offensive line or something like that, but I think if it's not Alan Bowman, you're going to be a little bit disappointed. And for, you know, if you're talking about, like, most impactful newcomer, I think you got to go Dijon Stribling there. Yeah, that's pretty good. Adam, what about you? You know, I think it's Bowman on both. <laughs> uh, it's hard uh, you know, to pinpoint, I mean, I'd love to say, I mean, I think MVP could easily be Presley, but, uh, but I think if we're looking back at it and his Bowman is as good as I think he is, I think he should wrap both of those up pretty, pretty easily. Gabe, I'll lean with you, Dustin. I'll go Bowman and Stribling. Um, and if it's not, then I think it's Bowman and Bowman, which would be a great thing. Yeah, no, I I agree. I I think that kind of wraps up our superlatives there for the offense, but we kind of just wanted to cover all the positions. We talked a lot of offensive line already, kind of give some of the skill guys their due there. So on defense, we'll start out with another one, just kind of a simple question, but I, I had a little bit of trouble when thinking about this. Cade, who leads the team in sacks at season's end? Oh, I... The easy answer is Colin Oliver. I, but I, I don't even know what the inverse would be. Like who, who's the, who's the next one there? It's like a collection of like four guys that I think you could come up with. Well, I went to look at Iowa state from last year and they just had like multiple guys around like the same sack total on the season. And I know this defense isn't exactly the same as the John Haycock, Iowa state three, three, five, but I feel like it might shake up to something like that. Like Oliver has the most, but it's not a ton and it's not way more than the next guy. I don't know. What are, what are your thoughts, Adam? Yeah, I, I chose Nathan Latou because I think he's going to have more pass rushing snaps than Oliver. Um, I, I, I get the feeling that there's going to be like four or five guys that might have like above three and a half or four sacks, or it's just going to be more like pass rushing by committee. Um, another thing too is, is that just setting expectations that there's going to be a lot less pressure generated by this defense than what we've been accustomed to, you know, even last year, but especially in the Jim Knowles era. So you, you're probably going to see those sack numbers overall decrease, which means that the leader might have five or four and a half. Um, so, but I picked Nathan Latou because I think he can, he can generate some pressure. I think he's going to have a good year. So, that's a 
That's a pretty good one. And again, I felt like Colin Oliver. There's a couple of free spaces on this roster. It's like Dalton Cooper's your guy that could fill in for you. Kendall Daniels is going to be really good. Colin Oliver is going to be really good. But yeah, I love the the two pick and and great like qualification on what this defensive line is going to look like. Um, the next question we had was who leads the team in interceptions? Adam, I'll ask that one to you. Historically, cornerbacks have not. It's always been uh, – I, 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 this is subjective. I didn't look at this stat, but I'm pretty sure several years in a row that safeties have actually led or linebackers have led the team in uh, in interceptions. So I'm, I'm going to go with uh, Kendall Daniels instead of any type of cornerback uh, just because I think that there's going to be a lot of – a lot of traffic over the middle and Daniels is huge <laughs> and rangy. Uh, so he's got the opportunity to generate, you know, three or four picks. I think he had three last year too. So uh, three or four. Yeah. Maybe. Yeah, he did. He had three and you're right, Adam. I, I mean, if you, if you count Thomas Harper as a safety, you know, he was playing that kind of nickel slot corner position. Javar Muhammad was the only corner that even had a pick last yeah. year and he had one. I went when you know why well. is because they Duffy still uh, teaches uh, play the ball and 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 instead of you know turning your head around and getting those picks, he's telling them to get up in there and, and punch it out. So which limits the opportunities for those cornerbacks. So yeah, yeah, I, I think it's going to be Daniels. He had three. He was second most on the team last year. I, I know that Farnsworth, that the rover position at Gannon, had several. So. I'm just picturing Daniels kind of being all over the place with more opportunities to be eyes on the quarterback making a play as opposed to like what you just said with the cornerbacks playing the ball kind of with their backs turned. Cade? You guys did it. That's that's it. It's Kendall Daniels. We talked about this last week, and I think you sold me on it. So, And I think he's the answer for our next one, too. Yeah, I think he has. In, in terms of tackles, I, 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 you could probably go with one of the linebackers, but... I just think Daniels is going to be kind of free flowing all over the place and be up there in terms of tackles. I mean, did, did you guys have another pick there, Adam? Who was your guy for tackles? Uh, I picked Xavier Benson. Mm, I like that one. I like that one. So, cause I think he's probably going to have the most snacks <laughs> snacks. Um, I'm hungry. Um, <laughs> <laughs> uh, I, I feel like he's, He's probably going to see the most snaps from linebackers. I feel like the linebackers are going to have more tackles in this scheme than, you know, what is it? Who led the team in tackles last year? Jason Taylor. Like we've had some really heavy. Yeah. Taylor usage. and then Cobb was like three behind him. Yeah. So I, I think we're going to see that flip flop a little bit. The safeties are still going to generate a lot of tackles, but I think you're going to see the linebackers are going to have a little bit more in this scheme. Uh, so, so that's kind of what, what caused me. And I think Benson will get the most snaps of the linebackers. So that led me there. Yeah, that's good. I, I, I side with you, Dustin, only because of what we talked about last week and you, yeah. you sold me on that as well. Um, all right. I can move us into our next question over under 1.85 defensive points per drive to put that into context. They were at 2.05 last year which put them at 48th and 1.85 would put them inside the top 30 in last year's standings. Dustin, your thoughts on that? I think they'll probably be better than last year, but I don't, I, I think I might go under that number slightly. I, I don't see them in the top 30, maybe just outside. 
I actually think this defense is going to be really good. And I know it's not the probably consensus of the entire fan base with a defensive coordinator coming in who doesn't have any D1 football experience with some of the, you know, poor defensive performances at times we saw last season. Uh, you know, some guys like Jason Taylor, Mason Cobb, Tyler Lacey not being on this team anymore. But I still think this defense is going to be really good, and I think they're going to be statistically good as well. I just don't know if I have them in that top 30 range. I I personally feel like they could get there, though. Like, I, everybody that's around the program and has watched them practice is saying that this is a significantly improved defense. I agree with you, Dustin. I'm just saying that I don't think it's a stretch to see them inside that, you know, top, you know, 30 is, is tough, but I mean, 1.85 points per drive. I mean, that's, that's probably getting you within the top four of the big 12 standings. If, if that's not offensive play, like withstanding, that would feel really good to know going into the season is the defense plays like that. I'm going to go under. Uh, I think the defense is going to be really good. Uh, they've, I think they've got good leadership. I think they've, I think the defensive line can carry this defense. And I think, I, I just think about it. If you think about situationally, they've got what it takes to be really good on third down. They've got what it takes to be really good in the red zone, which I think it, when you think about points per drive too, it's generally forcing a lot of field goals versus touchdowns. Like, you know, I mean, for example, if you give up four scoring drives and a half, but they're all field goals, like that's 12 points uh, versus, you know, in, in eight drives or nine drives, you're almost approaching that. So I feel like they're going to win a lot of those key situational matchups that will be able to, to get them under that number. I realize that's probably my biggest hot take of this whole thing. And it's probably a little bit of a, a, a little bit of a stretch, but I don't know. I just feel good about it. I feel good about Nardo. I feel I good about it. the personnel that they have. Um, very bullish about the defense overall, I would say. Well, let's, let's get to being bullish about guys on the defense. I mean, We've talked about Justin Kirkland ad nauseum, and uh, Adam, we haven't necessarily given you your soapbox to do so, but I'll start by asking you, over under 40% defensive snaps that Justin Kirkland plays in 2023. I think I'll Adam, take the... you set this line in a text to me. Did so I? <laughs> just hold that up. So that was, I think I, I think I probably said 40%. So I, I guess I'll take under, like I'll take 39%. Um <laughs> But I do think the one thing that his tape showed early on at his last season at Utah Tech was a lack of stamina early in the season. And since then, he's probably put on 40 pounds, uh, presumably good weight, and he looks like something that was created in a lab. Um, so, you know, I'm sure Glass has him set up, but I think he's definitely a situational player. In my opinion, he's a first and or second down player and he's off the field on third down unless it's third and short. Um, so, you know, I think, you know, I think 30 to to 35 snaps is probably where he sits, which I guess would leave you under 40%. Yeah. Yeah. That's I'm, where I land too. I'm not going to even give my thoughts because Adam laid it out perfectly. So. 
Well, let's get to this question then, which wraps up the defense. Name your defensive MVP. Dustin, I'll start with you. I think after watching the games, seeing how this defense performs, I'm going to be saying to you, Kate, on the podcast, and I'm sure you'll be saying it back to me, Justin Kirkland, but it'll be hard to quantify that because of the position he plays. I think if you're going to go statistics-wise, because I answered Daniels for tackles and interceptions, I think you could throw him in there. But I think personally, I think what Adam mentioned it earlier when we were talking about defensive line, I think Kirkland, in his amount of snaps, is going to be so dominant and so helpful to this run defense and the pass defense as, as well. It's going to stand out on tape. And even though he's not playing, you know, we're saying 40% of the total snaps, I think he'll make such an impact that I, I feel like you almost have to go with him or I, I have to go with him. Yeah, I feel like if you're not picking one of those two guys, then you haven't been listening that much to at least what we've been talking about all offseason. I think it's Kendall Daniels for me. It's almost like if you could separate like MVP in the traditional sense versus most important, I think your most important player is probably Justin Kirkland because that nose tackle position in a three, three, five unlocks everything. If you have a Siaki Ika or somebody at that spot that can blow things up, take on double teams with ease, it changes everything. So I think Justin Kirkland's success in his 30 to 35% of the snaps is the most important part of the defense. But I do think Kendall Daniels holistically is going to, we'll look back on and say he was the most valuable player. He was the MVP of the defense. That's that's the way I would split that. Adam, your thoughts? Yeah, I pretty much agree. I mean, I, I wrote down Kendall Daniels because I think he's going to generate the best snaps. But if you're talking about impactful players, I think it would certainly be Justin Kirkland because he's just he's going to open a lot of doors for other players. He's not going to stand out. He's probably, you know, uh, when you watch the game in lot, if you're at the game, you're probably not even going to, I mean, you'll know he's there cause he's huge, but, uh, but you know, it's not going to, you're not going to be walking out saying how great Justin Kirkland played. It's just not going to happen. Um, that's the life of uh, the life of us fat guys. Okay. We got to, we don't get as much fame. <laughs> okay. Uh, but I think given the fact that, it's likely Kendall Daniels will probably have a few sacks, a few interceptions, top three and tackles on the team. Also, too, Colin Oliver, I don't think is going to be a volume tackle guy. He's going to be so smooth and natural in space, and he's going to be a huge value add. Um, but I don't think that he's going to generate the, the type of st uh, stats that Kendall Daniels would, which I think would give him that award. But I think the one cool thing is, is the three players that really are in question are at the three levels um, of the defense, which is kind of circles yeah. back to overall bullishness of yep. the defense where you've got player legit playmakers at every single level of the defense uh, with depth in certain areas. So um, that's really exciting. Yeah, no, I, I love it. Those are, those were great answers. I love the conversation. I think it's time to move on to kind of our general questions season outlook and maybe even throw some big 12 in there Cade I'm changing the Vegas line and this is just regular <laughs> season wins over under eight 
for Oklahoma State regular season wins. This is really big brain stuff from you, uh, changing the Vegas line to be to be more challenging, and I'm still going over. I mean, I I think it's by season's end. I feel like it's a ten win season. You could say either including the bowl game or not, but I just I look at this roster and I don't see many holes and. If they stay healthy, which has been the Achilles heel, it was last year. It's been the Achilles heel on the offensive line. This schedule is is as light as it's been in recent memory for Oklahoma State. I mean, your two toughest road games you would have believed going into the season would be at Morgantown and at Ames. Well, I think those two could be 13 and 14 in the Big 12 this year. So I think you really got lucky there, and then you welcome, you you don't play any traditional school from the state of Texas. All that to say, it's it's still an easy over for me. Yeah, I, I, I'm going to go with nine, so I'm going over the eight. So I, I've got nine regular season wins. Cade, for pretty much all the reasons you stated, I don't really have much to add. Adam, over under eight in the regular season. Yeah, I'm going over as well, and I think the differentiating factor is – you look at the rosters and everything that tells you quality across the league and it's razor thin margins, right? You know, everyone's pretty, you got 10 teams are basically the same team more or less different styles, but very similar in quality and talent. And I think you go back to Mike Gundy's ability to win close games over a long period of time and it drives the fans crazy, but Mike Gundy will bore you to death to win a football game. Yes, he will. Um, And and, you know, we all complain about it and all that stuff. But at the end of the day, that's a, a an additional one in the win column. And I, I look at other teams across the country that are breaking it, like a Cincinnati or uh, or even new head coaches, newer-ish head coaches like a BYU or things of that nature. Um, you know, they don't have that uh, in their back pocket. They don't have the ability to have a coach that's tenured that can make the unpopular decision to gut out an excruciatingly painful win. Uh, and that's really what I would lean on is, is there are going to be probably anywhere from six to eight games on the schedule that are one score games. How many of those can win with a razor thin margin on talent and ability? And, you know, I'm just siding with OSU generally based off history, um, and a, a very senior laden team as well. So I think that's, that's why I'm more willing to say that of, let's say seven, one, one score games, OSU goes, you know, six and one or five and two instead of two and five, something like that. Yeah. Yeah. Let's talk the next one. Hardest opponent on the schedule. Can you say Bedlam here? Should that be a, a fair one in this season? Yeah. I, I almost think Bedlam just because of what it is, right. but I think best opponent on the schedule. I, I'm probably going to go with K-State there. I think so, too. I, I know they lost a lot with Deuce Vaughn, Felix NUDK, Uzoma, who went to the Chiefs, who went to the Chiefs, I believe. But they've got Will Howard back. They've got Phillip Brooks. They've got some good guys in the backfield. They've got some guys they're replacing that are talented on defense. I like Kleiman. I like what he's doing at K-State. I think they're probably the best team that Oklahoma State plays in the regular season. Adam, go ahead. Are we incorporating home in a way to this? Like, is this the hardest yeah. game or the best? Yeah, team? you could do. Yeah, let's do hardest game. 
I I circled UCF. Is that weird? <laughs> it's not. Uh, They're going to come up in one of the later questions for me. So I, that was like when I thought about like what's the game that I'm most concerned about. Like you know, obviously OU and K State are up there. But, you know, I feel like that they're going to be pretty pumped up for that game. It was one of the games that they sold out. Uh, I think it's going to be their space game or whatever, where they wear the weird uniforms. And they've got a legit roster. You know, I think Gus Malzahn's done a nice job of building up that team uh, into a legit team. Like, that's going to be a very intense road environment. And as you mentioned earlier, that uh, the fact that the, the schedule is pretty soft and given the fact that OSU gets K-State and OU at home, uh, I thought of uh, I picked UCF. I, I I think it's dead on personally. I, I think there are other opponents, other teams that, you know, if you play Kansas in Lawrence this year in a year where they are, they bring back more returning talent than anybody. I don't know what that means, but I think that they're going to be pretty good. They'll, they'll come up in a later question as well, but you get them at home as well. So I think it's UCF hands down for me. By the way, the uh, Bedlam game, like I'm already – like so jacked up for that game. Like I'm going <laughs> to, I don't even know what I'm going to do. I'm going to do something wild. And I think everyone feels the same way where that, that stadium may explode. Like it may just come all the way down. Like that's going to well, be the wildest game ever. Kate and I went through schedule kind of game by game and a question we got asked a few podcasts ago and both of us picked OSU to win that Bedlam game, and I don't think we've ever done that in the history of podcasting together. I mean, so I, I completely agree with you. It's going to be just intense. think if we won by like fifty. Oh <laughs> no, I thought so. So this is a legit question, though. If we went and beat them really, really bad, do you? Okay, so the goalposts are coming down. They're coming down. No, they, they have no chance. Do you carry them and dump it in Theta Pond? Or I came up with the idea of we carry it to Washington Street and just everyone just totes it around back and forth, going from bar to bar with the uprights. I I think all bets are off in this scenario. I mean, it it could be a full blown riot. Like you could see cars flipped. You you it could, could be see, Morgantown. It could be Morgantown. Yeah, you could there could see, be couches. Yeah, uh, trees set aflame. Like anything could could be on the table. Sorry to derail, I'm, but I, I got no. I got I'm on board. About it. I'm on board with all of that, and I, I, I think of the two, I like the up and down Washington Street over Theta Pond. I kind of like that idea. What did you I think mean, you about know, lighting trees on fire? Where yes, did you yes. Stand on that? Okay. Well, <laughs> you know, I'm here for the environment, so maybe, yeah. not, maybe not. <laughs> okay, <laughs> great. Let's move. Let's mix. Great this. transition. <laughs> Let's mix these next two into kind of just one question here. Who's your big 12 champion? Gabe? Yeah, this is actually the one I didn't want to answer because I, I think there's seven. There's really like three schools that I think could actually win it. I think it's Texas. I think it's Kansas State. And I might put Oklahoma State as that like third that could win it. Um. I don't believe in Kansas. So for this, it pains me. I'll I'll say Texas wins the Big 12 in, in its final year in the conference. But I just I, I don't know if they have a quarterback. But if they do, I think they're gonna be pretty good. Yeah, no, I like it. I, I, I went with K-State. I talked about them earlier. I, I think they're probably the best team in the Big 12. I know Texas has a really good team, like you said. I'm gonna go K-State, but I really wanted to go. 
Oklahoma State, but I thought that would be too on brand for me. That's a stretch. So I'm going to go K-State. Yeah, I'm going to go Texas too. They just got, you know, the right mix. They they should be able to be really explosive. They've got a lot of weapons. They've got a quarterback that can, they can you know, uh, stretch the field, and, and they've got – you know, one of the best offensive lines. I mean, their offense should be really good. So um, they've got some some guys on defense that can – like, they they should win. Obviously, they haven't shown us that they're able to win for many, many years. But I think Sark has been better-ish. At, I would at, agree with that. At Like, like he's still had some down cycles. But you watch them play, and they don't make you feel like they're so – a ridiculous waste of talent, you know. So um, – so I think he's been building that program up, and they've got loads of talent. I think this is probably their year. But uh, I do think they played Texas Tech in the Big 12 title game, um, mm. which I don't know if we're going to ask that question next. But um, but I do think that their Texas Tech is probably the best team of that second group we've made a lot of references to. Um, maybe. <laughs> yeah, it's it's tough it's with so them. Hard. I don't want to put the cart ahead of the horse, but I just struggle with them. Like every time they get brought up, it's like if they don't thrash Ole Miss in the bowl game, it's like if a tree falls in the woods, it's like, does anybody really remember that Texas Tech team? Um, I personally think they're going to be good, but like I have them at like eight wins good. I don't have them at like 10, but I, I get it. They could also be the team that on the on the other side of my close wins discussion, you know, where they lose, you know, they're in six or seven close because I think that's going to be the the differentiating factor. Like TC, look at TCU last year; they won like every close game they had. So who's the team that basically can be super clutch and not make stupid mistakes, regardless of how explosive or how good they are? Probably going to be the team that's on the other side of Texas and Arlington uh, in Arlington in December. So. Yeah. No, no, I love it. Uh, I think that kind of leads right into the last one. Gabe. Yeah, I think so. Does Dark OSU horse. make the big 12 title game? Well, I I, I was going to go with the, I guess we could do the last two, the OSU making the big 12 title game. And who's kind of your dark horse team in the big 12 that you think might finish in the top five that no one's really talking about, or that they're just kind of polarizing. Some people think they're going to be good. Some people think they're going to not be good. You know that Adam mentioned Texas Tech. Cade, who's who's your team there? I think it's. I, I mean, I'll go Kansas, but it's not like I think that they're going to win the Big Twelve. I just think that they, if Jalen Daniels is healthy, they were six and zero. Oh. And um, is their defense going to be any improved? I doubt it. But I think that their offense is going to be dynamic. And and outside of Texas, I think that they could be like so good to be the second best offense by a wide wide-ish margin in the conference. So I, I think it could be Kansas for me. This is the one I was mentioning earlier. I have UCF. I, I just think they're the best of the newcomers. And I actually think they're going to be pretty good again. I, like you kind of just said, Kate, I, I don't think they're going to win the big 12, but I think they're going to win some games. I mean, Adam mentioned that being Oklahoma state's toughest game, that away game in Orlando, their space night or whatever. So I think UCF is going to be really good Adam. Who's kind of your dark horse, dark horse, big 12 team. Well, I definitely think UCF is, is going to be a, a you know, a tough team. Uh, I went a little bit further, I guess. And cause I figured they're pretty much middle. Most think they're in the middle of the pack. Um, so they're kind of close to five. Uh, 
I went with BYU. I think most people have them like 13th, 14th in yeah. the league. Um, they have Kadon, Kadon Slovis or, or yeah. Kadon Slovis, uh, former USC quarterback. I know he's kind of been a journeyman. Um, but historically, they've always had a really strong offensive line. Um, I think they're better than 13th. I don't know if top five is fair, but I think top seven-ish, top eight is legitimate. Like they could be the middle of the pack of the middle of the pack, if that makes sense. So um, so that, they were someone that I, I highlighted as like a plus six or whatever from their preseason standing. Like they're 13. I feel like they could they could live around that seven spot. Yeah, that's that's pretty good. I think that they're going to surprise too. Nobody said Cincinnati, which I think is is smart. Um, there was one other question wrapped up in that, and this is probably what we can sign off with: is does Oklahoma State make the Big Twelve title game? Does anybody say yes to that? Yeah, I'm going to go. Yeah, K State, Oklahoma State, Big Twelve title game. That'd be fun. It really well, maybe, would be. Maybe. <laughs> I'm going to go no. I struggle yeah. to see. I I also say no. I think I think OSU goes 9 and 3. I think you got to I think you got to be 10 and 2 to make the um make the title game. So um I, it's it's hurt, it's painful to say that but yes. Yeah. It I think it's going to shape up to be a fun season. And an interesting non-conference, like I could totally see them slipping one there and then figuring out in conference and, and running the table type situation, but we'll see what happens. Adam, it was a blast, man. Any final thoughts before we get you out of here on, on the 2023 Oklahoma State season? No, I had a great time. Thanks for y'all. Thanks for letting me crash your party. Um, if anyone's in Phoenix, hit me up. We're going to be partying <laughs> and having a good time. There you so. go. All right. Thanks, Adam. Appreciate Look you coming to on. It. Thanks, Adam. Thanks, guys. We'll see you soon. Dustin, I enjoyed that. Any final thoughts from you before we sign off uh, from this no, preseason extravaganza? Yeah, I appreciate Adam letting us have him for that long. That was a great podcast. A lot of good discussion. Cade, thank you for kind of leading us through a lot of that. The depth chart discussion was great. Superlatives were fun. And it's just gotten me even more excited for this season. Next week, we'll come back with a Central Arkansas preview. And we will definitely hit questions next week since we only hit a few this week. Because we'll just kind of have that preview. And we'll just be talking football. So appreciate everybody sending in questions. Sorry we only got to a few of them. But Kate, I'll flip it back to you. Yeah, questions this week would have put us into Joe Rogan territory in terms of podcast length. So we appreciate you guys hanging out with us. And that really puts a bow on the 2023 preseason for Oklahoma State football. I can't believe we're here. We said it was going to be here sooner rather than later, and it is. And uh, Dustin, I can't wait to do another football season with you, my friend, and uh, get to ride this train, see where it leads us, hopefully all the way to Arlington. If you're not already, you can follow us on Twitter, Instagram, and threads at feelslike45pod. And I promise you, if you're not, you're going to want to as we break these games down. The, the preview the recap, um, it's it's next to none. I, I fully submit that thanks to Dustin's work. You can follow us there. You can follow Dustin at Dust Ragu. You can follow me at Cade Webb. We will see you guys back here next week. Go Pokes.